Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews 2, verse 1. Yes! I love the excitement in our church about the Word of God. Let's never lose that. Never lose that. Hebrews 2, verse 1. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. The author of Hebrews is talking here that people who know the truth, live in the truth, and, and, and even practice the truth, have the potential to drift away from the truth. He wasn't talking to non-believers or atheists or people in another religion. He was talking to Christians, to the church. He was saying, church, pay attention because there's potential you can drift away from that experience and encounter and truth that you got from the Word of God and from the power of God. And he said, don't lose it. Don't drift away from it. Something happened in 1763 that was very interesting. It was on the Mississippi River. There was a town that started to boom. It was called Little Gulf. It was the sister city to the big gulf, New Orleans. And later on, it was renamed Rodney, Mississippi. Now, what was interesting about this town, Rodney, Mississippi, is that the Mississippi River flowed right through it. And over time, people started moving to Rodney, Mississippi, and it quickly became the booming place to be. In the 1800s, restaurants were started there, businesses were started there, churches were started there, and, and every week, visitors were coming, thousands of people. There was so much to do in Rodney. In fact, it quickly became so big, it was bigger than the capital of Mississippi. So everybody was going to Rodney, but something began to change, and something happened that nobody could foresee happening to this town. Today, Rodney, Mississippi is a ghost town. Nobody lives there. There's one street in, one street out. There's no families there, no businesses there, no wealth there, no commerce there. What made a city that was huge become a ghost town? Today, the only thing that's there is an old, decrepit Presbyterian church where nobody meets in. Something happened. During the course of the 1800s, debris and silt began to build up in the Mississippi River that flowed right into Rodney, Mississippi. Nobody thought it was a big deal, and so nobody went down there to pull the debris out or the silt out, and what happened is it began to shift the course of the river. The river, little by little, not overnight, but one day at a time, began to shift inch by inch away from the town of Rodney. Today, there's no water in that town. There's nothing that flows through that town. And what happened was, by the end of the 1800s, the river had moved three miles away from Rodney, Mississippi. Well, the, the wealth and the commerce of the city was built around the river, the activities on the river. They had boat rides, and they had all kinds of fun stuff to do on the river. All the life was around the river. And they thought they could keep on having prosperity and wealth and excitement in their city, even though the river had shifted only three miles away. But visitors stopped coming. Businesses started shutting down. Restaurants started closing. Churches started shrinking. People started moving. And by the mid-1900s, it became a ghost town. You can look it up on Google. You can find the story about it. But there's a testimony from this story. There's something important we need to realize. If we get away from the river, we get away from life. 
If we get away from what makes us alive as a church, as a Christian, we get away from all the blessings that God wants to bring into our life, all the the vitality that God wants to bring. What is the river for Christians? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God. It's Jesus. He's the source of living water. He's the source of life. If we turn this thing just into a one-hour motivational sermon, we miss out on the joy of the Holy Spirit. If we turn our church services just into some structured program that just does dot, 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 get out of here, next person come in. If we miss out on the vitality and the source of living water, we will become a ghost town. Not on my watch, not on your watch. So what do we need? I believe that it's time. I heard God say just last week, and there's nothing wrong that's happening in our church. In fact, I really feel like our church is stirring towards something greater. And I heard God say, it's time for revival at victory. It's time for revival at victory. I'm glad 10 people believe it. Maybe there's more of you online that believe it. I'm just kidding. What is revival? The dictionary definition says that revival is an improvement in the condition of something or someone. It is to recover, to rally, to pick up, to turn for the better. It's an upturn, an upswing. It's a reintroduction, a restoration, a resurrection. To revive something, it has to already have existed. You can't revive something that never existed. So it had to be something, and and when God talks about revival, and when we talk about revival, revival is not for unbelievers, because they haven't accepted the Spirit of God yet. They haven't accepted Jesus in their hearts. Revival is for Christians. It's for churches that have lost energy, lost strength, lost vitality. And it's also for churches that may have strength and may have vitality, but are ready for more. And that's where I feel like we're at as a church, that we're ready for more. We're ready for the next level of what God wants to do. Now, as a kid, I used to be intrigued about revival. I used to read books from Smith Wigglesworth and Oral Roberts. And later on, when I got into high school and college, I read Ron McIntosh's book, uh, the Bible college director in our church. He wrote a book called Quest for Revival. And I used to think that revival was a six-hour-long church service. And that wasn't exciting to me. (laughs) Because I was like, six hours? I got to eat. There were some services where I just was ready to go to Shoney's. Like, as a kid, I was like, can we go to Shoney's? Anybody remember Shoney's? Man, that was the spot. Bring back Shoney's. Back to revival. All right. I used to think it was a six-hour service, 40 days a week, and it would go morning and night, and then it would end when the pastor got tired or when the church was just done with revival. And I felt like God was saying, no, that's not revival. Revival is so much more than that. Revival is more than what happens inside of a church building. It's not a revival if it stays inside the four walls of the church. And revival isn't meant just to last for a short period of time. Revival is meant to have lasting impact on a city and a community and a church and a nation and the nations of the world. Oral Roberts said that revival is the revitalization of the church for a divine attack on society. Revival is marshalling of forces fatal to the kingdom of darkness. Revival is the enlisting, training, and empowering of the church as a prelude to evangelization. Revival is God's military tactic that concentrates his resources for a vital blow at a crucial moment. God began to speak to me that revival raises the esteem of Jesus. If Jesus isn't lifted up, it's not revival. If it's about a personality or a church name or a person or an organization, it's not revival. But when it's all about Jesus, you know it's it's a revival. 
Revival, it stirs up your love for God and your love for people. It's not a revival if you still hate your family. It's not a revival if you still have racism in your heart. Because revival breaks down prejudice. It breaks down bigotry. It destroys racism. It destroys the divides. Revival reinvigorates the life of a believer. Revival causes Christians to get excited about reading their Bible in the morning. Revival gets people excited to worship God. Revival causes a church to stay awake in church services, to lean in with their eyes open, their hearts open. Revival draws people towards repentance. In fact, the first step for revival is repentance. Revival's not meant to be carried by one person. It's meant to be spread and carried by a church, a congregation. The reason why revivals oftentimes stop short is because one person is trying to carry it. And he ends up having a failure, some sort of fall, because he can't handle the stress of trying to carry that burden in his heart. And I heard God say, this is meant to be a church-wide thing, that we must carry revival together. It's not meant for one person to have it or just the prayer ministry to have it. It's meant for the whole church to get it inside their hearts. And I heard God say, Paul, if you get it inside of you, you can impart it inside of others. Some of you already have it in your hearts. But we've got to stoke the fire. We've got to stir up the flames. We've got to spread the fire. This last week, I was with a group of friends, and we were sitting around a bonfire celebrating a couple in our church who just got pregnant, Mark and Natalie Kresge, are pregnant with their first child, our young adult pastors. And we were sitting around this bonfire with them, and it was a small contained bonfire. And, and it had gone down, and it, was, it, was, it looked like it was dead. It had gone to ashes and coals. And I took my prong, and I began to poke these coals and these ashes, and all of a sudden, the flame came back up again. They were like, whoa. People didn't realize we could do that, that you could poke and the fire comes back up. And I thought about bringing my, my poker stick, my prong to church this morning and poking some of you guys just to see if there's any fire left inside of you to stir it up, church. Poke somebody next to you and say, get the fire, baby, get the fire. We need fire. We need revival. Our country needs revival. Our country needs it. You know why the church has to get it? Because America needs it. And it's gonna start in the church. A revival has to start amongst believers. It, the repentance has to begin in the church and then it overflows into the streets, neighborhoods, cities. And I believe our country is ripe for revival. We're ripe for revival. This last week when I was in Brazil, I was ministering and, and I was in a room that really was just like this section and that section. It could hold about 1,500 people, but if you packed more in, it could hold 2,000. And so it was packed out. People were spread against the walls and people were sitting on the ground. People were hungry. This church was right in the middle of, of the poorest part of Sao Paulo, Brazil, and the wealthiest part. They had people coming from favelas, which are streets with houses made of mud and sticks and trash stacked on top of each other. And then people coming from mansions in gated communities and they were colliding in this room and, 
And nobody cared what anybody smelled like. Nobody cared what anybody was wearing. Everybody was just ready for God to move. And I got excited because that's Victory Church. We're a church for the poor and the rich, a church for the down and out and the up and in. We're a church for the brokenhearted. And we're a church for every person. And man, when we stop judging each other by the color of our skin or what our past is or what kind of sin you came out of, but we just get hungry for Jesus to move, revival is on the brink. Revival is ready to come. And at the end of this message, I was preaching to these people and towards the end, people just started coming down to the altar, not because of anything I said, but because the presence of God was so thick and powerful and, and people just started repenting. Some people were coming down to get saved for the first time, give their hearts to Jesus. Some were coming down just to repent and say, God, do a work inside of me. I've been asleep. I've been lethargic. I've been complacent. I haven't been hungry for you or for your word or for your presence. And I want to get my hunger back. And as they began to repent, I started to repent. It was like this powerful just call of repentance came over everyone in the room. And I just fell down on my knees and I said, God, I repent. I repent. I repent for being too comfortable with where I am spiritually. I repent, God, for being too satisfied with my quiet time, too satisfied with my Bible reading, too satisfied with our church services. God, I want more. I want more for victory. I want more for my life. I want more for my marriage and more for my family. Holy Spirit, I want more of you. And I repent. I repent, God. I repent of anything, God, that doesn't glorify you. I want more of you. I don't want any debris or silt to get in the way of the river of life to flow in me and through me. And I heard God say, Paul, Repentance is the key to revival. So let repentance start with you and call the church to repent. And I'm not saying anyone here is in deep sin, but I am saying that maybe you're here today and you've lost that true excitement and passion and joy of salvation. David in the Bible, he had a personal revival. In Psalm 51, he cried out to God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Cleanse me, God. Purify me, Lord. You don't want lip service. You want life service. So God, I'm going to live for you. God created me a pure heart, a clean spirit, a steadfast spirit inside of me. Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And God did it. And if he did it back then, he can do it again. In order for revival to come to a country, it has to come to a church. In order for revival to come to a church, it has to come to a person. It doesn't even have to be the pastor, but the pastor better get it soon or else he's going to miss out on it. But we've got to get revival inside of our hearts. Everybody say, let revival start with me. Let revival start in me. The pastors in Brazil, after the service, they took me to eat and they asked me, how are things in the United States of America? How are things going? I said, mm, good. I was like, have you been watching the news? They're like, yeah. They said, Paul, we just want you to know we're praying for your country. And when they said that, I teared up because I just started to really, my heart started to break for our country. The outsiders are watching and 
our country used to be the country where we would send missionaries to start churches and pray and lead nations to Jesus, and now the nations are sending missionaries to the U.S., and they're praying for us. They said, Paul, we need to tell you something. Last year in 2016, we took a sabbatical from Sao Paulo, and we came to the USA, and we went to churches on Wednesday nights and Saturday nights, Sunday morning, Sunday nights. We went to churches on the East Coast, the West Coast, the South, the North, the Midwest, they said, we came to your church too, by the way. I was like, you didn't tell me. They said, we just want you to know, we, we came because we wanted to get refreshed. We wanted to get our vision refreshed for what God wants to do in Brazil, but they said, we came away discouraged. They said, not from your church. In fact, your church was the only church that did altar calls. They said, we visited so many churches and not one church except for Victory did an altar call. And they said, we're, we're not trying to lift Victory up as like the, the, the best church in the world. I was like, we are the best church in the world. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Every church is awesome. They have a mission. But they said, listen, they were like, why are churches stopping altar calls? They said, in fact, most of the churches we went to didn't even offer at the end of the message a prayer for salvation. They just closed up the sermon and they were like, all right, be blessed. And they said, how are people supposed to get saved if you don't even give them a chance to get saved? And then they said it was so crazy because everything, they, there was most of the churches didn't even mention the Holy Spirit. And it felt anemic, it felt weak, it felt tired, it felt lethargic, it felt like people just wanted to get in and get out and go to the restaurant and be done with God. Nobody wanted to linger in his presence. And I start crying as I'm listening to this because I go, God, I want more of you in our church and in our nation. And Lord, I want more of you in my life. Let revival start with me. Let revival start in me. And they said, victory is a remnant. Victory is a remnant church in the USA. And God's gonna use your church as a light to spark a fire in your country. And I said, yes, that's what I want, that's what I want, that's what we need. And I had this vision, this dream that I was in outer space and I was orbiting planet Earth and I could see Earth from a far off distance and, and I could see continents and I could zoom in on continents and when I zoomed in, I could see these little lightning storms happening in different pockets of a continent or a country. And I heard God say, there's revival happening in certain places, but it's time for these, these sparks of fire to get together. It's time for the fire to burn stronger, to change the nation. It's time for the church to come together in unity and in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's time for revival. It's time for revival. I don't even care if the revival doesn't mention victory or doesn't mention us. I just want revival in our city and in our state and in our nation. Let it start here, God. Why does our country need it? Well, in case you don't watch the news, let me just give you a quick glance of the scoreboard. America produces more pornography than any other nation. We have more criminals than any other nation. Our prisons are packed. We have more teen pregnancies than any other nation. One third of kids in America grow up without a dad. We have the highest divorce rate in the world. We have more couples moving in and living together, more people sleeping together outside of marriage than any other country. We have the highest rate of illegal drug use. Terrorism is more rampant today in our country. Chaos is more rampant. Three million teenagers every year run away from home. Suicide is the leading cause of death amongst teenagers under the age of 16. Abuse is rampant in homes. And right now, only 4% of people born after the year 1980 believe that the Bible is true. 
So 96% of my generation doesn't even think this thing is real. We have work to do. We have work to do. We cannot just put our heads down in the sand and pretend like all is well. We've gotta realize, but here's the good news. There's still time left on the scoreboard. And the devil is defeated. We know the end of the game. The devil loses and Jesus wins. But the church has got to rise up. The church has got to wake up. Paul said in Romans 13, verse 11, it is high time we wake up. In Romans 13, verse 11, he said, time is running out. Time is running out. It's time for us to wake up. Our salvation is nearer than it's ever been. He said, we must cast off darkness and, and immoral deeds. We gotta get rid of lust and envy and jealousy. And we've gotta put on the clothes of right living. We've gotta clothe ourselves with Jesus and with his light. We've gotta stop playing church. And we've gotta start being the church. I'm grateful for great church services on Sunday. But I wanna pastor a church that's alive on Monday. That's alive on Tuesday that's engaged in the city on Wednesday and Thursday, Friday and Saturday. I want you to have revival on a daily basis. I want you tomorrow morning to wake up with a reinvigorated passion to read your Bible. I want you on Wednesday to have encounters with God in your office, in your school, on your campus. I want you to start stirring people up to pray together. I want you to meet together in your homes and in your apartments and on your university dorm floors. I want you to go out together and do outreaches and help the homeless and minister to the poor and minister to the needy, to go in jails and in prisons. And I want you to get in the dream center and help people out because revival doesn't just happen inside a church. It happens out there in your lives. We need it. Charles Spurgeon was asked the question, who needs revival? And he said, it's a sad thing, the people that need revival. He said, it is the believer who's grown so comfortable with how things are that they no longer have the twinkle in their eyes. They no longer have a passion to witness or lead anyone to Jesus. They can't remember the last time they actually personally led someone to Jesus. It's the person who no longer gets excited about the word of God or church or worship. No longer gets excited about opportunities to repent, opportunities to forgive, opportunities to reconcile. But he said, when this person comes alive, when revival happens, something changes in their life and it changes their family, it changes their friends, it changes their neighbors, it spreads everywhere around them. They get a passion for people in their life that they wanna witness to, that they wanna minister God's love to. It is the mark of revival in a renewed heart. God asked Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, can these dry bones live again? Ezekiel said, God, you're the only one who knows. Now, maybe here in our church, we would get mad at Ezekiel for saying that because it doesn't sound very faith-filled. We would say, Ezekiel, you should have said, of course they can. But Ezekiel was just giving an honest answer. He was kind of looking at his nation. He's like, God, you're the only one who knows if these bones can live again. And God doesn't rebuke Ezekiel for his honest answer. In fact, God says, Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Speak to these dry bones. Tell them that the breath of God is coming inside them. 
And as Ezekiel began to do this, in verse 9, what was a valley of corpses became, in verse 10, a vast army with the breath of the living God inside of them. And God said, this is Israel. It's time for revival. What happened between verse 9 and verse 10? How did that valley of corpses become a vast army with the breath of God? The answer is in Acts 3.19. Because in Acts 3.19, these people were ready for, for revival. They were ready for God to do something in their hearts. And Peter said, here's the key. You must repent of your sins. You must turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then, times of refreshment, and that word refreshment in the Greek means the living breath of God. One definition of it means revival, the breath of God, resurrection life, will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. See, repentance is the first step towards revival. If you want to get your life back, you've got to start with repentance. You've got to get real with God, get honest, and say, Lord, I repent. John the Baptist out in the wilderness was calling people to repentance before Jesus did any miracles. John the Baptist was out there saying, repent, prepare the way of the Lord. Added my own accent on there. But when John the Baptist did this, people came miles away out into the wilderness and they were baptized in the Jordan River and then all of a sudden Jesus's ministry was launched from this. Repentance is the beginning of revival. And we can't expect the world to repent. It's got to start in the church. The church has to go, you know what? We need to repent of being too comfortable with who's here and forgetting about who's not here and forgetting about who we need to reach and forgetting about the world that's hurting around us. And, and we've got to get passionate about reaching our neighbors, our lost friends, our loved ones that are far from God. We've got to get on our knees and start praying more. We've got to start contending for miracles to happen on a daily basis in our church. By the way, God's doing great things. He is. But I believe God wants to do even greater things in this church. Who believes that with me? God wants to do even greater things in your life. <laughs> Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders. Remember those who came before you. If we're gonna get to that place of what God wants to do, we gotta remember the revivals before us. Did you know this year marks the 500 year anniversary of the Great Reformation? 500, in 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Castle Church in Wittenberg. And Martin Luther was stirred in his heart, something must change, things aren't right in the Roman Catholic Church. He recognized that everybody was, was missing the point of the New Testament, everybody was missing the point of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so Martin Luther, he starts nailing these 95 theses and he's saying, sola Christa, sola gloria, sola fide, sola gloria de Dios. He's saying, only Jesus, only grace, only faith, only the glory of God. This is what it's gonna take. And people, they only knew Jesus, they only knew God through a high priest. Here they were 1,500 years after Jesus had already died on the cross, rose from the dead, but they weren't living in the New Testament revelation. Here's what a revival is. A revival is a restoration of a lost revelation. It's not adding to the Bible. It's just rediscovering what's in the Bible. It's rediscovering the truths that are already there. They're just waiting for you to come alive to. The eyes of your heart be opened in Jesus' name. It's crazy. Some of you in this room, you, you can attest to this. You can read a Bible, read a chapter in the Bible, and get nothing out of it. 
And then in another season of your life, read that same chapter and everything's jumping off the pages and you're circling, oh my goodness, that's for me. Who, who, who's been there before, right? That's a revival. That's a revival. Revival is when the word of God comes alive to you again. Lord, I pray that tomorrow you get so excited to open your Bible. I pray that tomorrow you get so excited to walk in forgiveness, to walk in love, to spend time in prayer, to pray for our city, to pray for our church. I pray that this week you would find yourself repenting throughout the week, just humbling yourself. If we wanna see revival, we've gotta get unembarrassed and unashamed to say, Lord, I need more of you. I need your grace, I need your forgiveness, I need your help, I need your holiness, your righteousness in my life. When I was 18 years old, I, I thought I knew God. I went to Christian school, thought all was well. But this one night I felt so discouraged and I went into my room and I pulled out my acoustic guitar and, and I just started singing, I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I made it because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. When I started singing that, it became a prayer. And then I started just writing these words. They just started flowing out of my heart. Search me, oh God, and know my every thought. Renew my mind, take my life, I'm all yours. And look inside my heart, remove every part that does not glorify you, Lord. I'm all yours, and I'm all yours, I'm all yours, every part of me in the heart of me. Is all yours. When I was singing that to God, God started to work in my heart. He started a revival inside of me to the point where every day I was excited to just worship God. I was excited to just write songs to God and read my Bible. And it was like He was restoring the joy of His salvation inside of me. Some of us don't even realize we need revival. We, we feel so good with where we're at. We don't even realize that we, we need it, that spiritually from the outside, someone's looking in and they're going, I'm praying for your country. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your eyes, the eyes of your heart would be open that the Holy Spirit wants to get you back in the river, that you've unintentionally moved away from the river, the debris, the silt has built up offense and, and complacency and frustration and you've been comparing everything and, and, and you've been missing out on the life of God and the Holy Spirit and I'm praying that the river gets back inside of you. This last summer, our family, we were in Florida, we were visiting my sister and my other sister from Texas came up and we were sitting by a pool me and Ashley, we were both working on messages and church stuff, so we had our headphones in and we were sitting in a chair next to the pool and my sister Sarah, her kids were swimming in the pool. They're old, uh, older, 11 and nine years old, great swimmers. Then Ruthie, my, old, my other sister, came down with her two babies. 
She has a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And she always puts on life jackets for these girls. But this one moment, she brought them down and she was gonna put the life jackets on right when she got to the pool. And when she got down there, as soon as she walked down, her two daughters, Tova and Ziva, we got awesome names in our family, by the way. <laughs> and so Tova runs and grabs a life jacket. Mommy, I got my life jacket. Ziva's right next to Ruthie holding her leg. This guy walks up to her by the pool and starts to ask her questions and talk to her about where we're from. And as Ruthie's answering this person, I mean, it was literally like a 20 to 30 second conversation. Ziva falls into the pool. We have our headphones in. Isaac and Lizzie are playing on the other side. Tova's looking the other way. And all of a sudden, about 20 seconds later, I hear this crazy scream from my niece, Lizzie. No! No! She jumps in the pool. I go, what's going on? I, I pull up my headphones. What's going on? She's like, Ziva, Ziva, Ziva. Ruthie jumps into the pool. All of us jump in and Ziva had fallen to the bottom of the deep end and she was laying like this. And we didn't know this, but they say that a baby can drown in less than 10 seconds by swallowing so much water right when they fall in. It doesn't even have to be a minute or two minutes. It can happen in 10 seconds. And so we pull Ziva out and she's laying like this blue. Her body has turned blue and she's not breathing. She was dead. And my, si my, my sister Ruthie is crying and screaming, no, Jesus, no, Jesus, no, no, I'm not gonna bury this girl. Because my sister Ruthie had just had a miscarriage six months before that. I'm not gonna bury another child. No, Jesus, no, Jesus. No weapon formed against this girl will prosper in Jesus' name. She will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. The seed of the righteous is protected in Jesus' name. But she still wasn't breathing. And we were trying to do everything. We were all huddled around her and Tova was leaning in, her older sister. What's wrong with my baby sister? Tova, just wait over there, just wait over there. And my brother-in-law, Adam, he's trying to get Ziva to cough up the water, just to get the water out, just trying to get her to breathe again. And she's lifeless. Things look worse. We're calling the ambulance and, and, and we can hear them coming around the corner. And two minutes felt like two hours that she wasn't breathing. But finally, after one or more pumps in her stomach, she coughed up this water and she began to breathe. <gasps> And man, when she coughed up that water and started breathing, I started praising God. I started crying. Thank you, Jesus. She's living. She's alive. This is a picture of Ziva with my grandma just a few weeks ago. Ziva is alive. She's healthy. Praise God. We serve a God who brings the dead back to life. I watched a dead girl come back to life right in front of my eyes. Never seen something like that before. I mean, she was totally dead and she came totally back to life. But I want to tell you today, spiritually, you may not even realize it, but you need to be revived. You need to be revived. You need to get the breath of God back in your lungs again. You need a revival on the inside of you. After the Reformation, there was the 
There was the Great Awakening, then the Second Great Awakening, then there was the Azusa Street Revival, there was the Charismatic Renewal, there was the Jesus Movement. Then in the 90s, there was the Brownsville Revival, the Toronto Blessing. Did you know at the end of the 90s, there was a revival called the Promise Keepers Revival? In the Promise Keepers Revival, millions of men turned to God and gave their lives to Jesus. In fact, in one setting, one moment in Washington, D.C., right there in the mall in front of the Capitol Building, over one million men showed up in repentance and prayer for our nation and sparked a revival in churches amongst men. I believe it's time for a revival again in our nation, in the men in our nation, and the women in our nation. Ladies, I believe it's time for revival in the church amongst women. I believe it's time for revival in the church amongst men. Did you know there was a Civil War revival right in the middle of the Civil War? between the Yankees and between, or between the North and the South, soldiers dropped their guns that were angry at each other where there was racial tension and they came together and revival sparked and it brought healing and restoration between these men and these soldiers. That's amazing, church. I believe it's time for revival again. I believe it's time for revival again. We can sit back and watch as the enemy tries to continue to attack our nation, to bring more political strife, racial strife, chaos, dividing churches, dividing people. We can sit back, put our hands in the, put our hands down, sit in the corner, put our heads in the sand, and just say, well, I, I'm just concerned about me, myself, and I. I'm just concerned about my family, and I'm concerned about my money, and I'm concerned about my seat in church and my parking spot here at Victory. Or we can lift up our eyes and go, it's time for revival in our country. Revival is not for the weak Christians. Revival is for the mature Christians. It's for the ones who know they need it. Revival is not for those who just want to survive. In fact, the greatest enemy to revival is survival. When a church shifts into survival mode, what do we have to do not to die? What do I have to do just to keep surviving? What do we have to do as a church not to lose? If we're always on the defense and trying to survive, man, we miss out on the revival God wants to bring. The enemy to revival is survival mode. We have to get to that place to go, I don't wanna just play defense, I wanna play offense. I wanna take down the darkness in our city and in our nation. I wanna advance the kingdom of God. I wanna get on every TV channel, every radio station, every neighborhood. I wanna be the church that's engaged in our city. I want this world to know that if victory was gone, we left a dent on this planet. We changed communities, we changed a nation. I'm ready for revival. And I'm asking you to help me. I need your help. I need your help. We got to do this together. We're in a season right now in the church calendar called Lent. It's something that a lot of Catholic people practice. It's not bad. In fact, it's an observance of what Jesus did when he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Right before Jesus did any miracles, right after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness for 40 days without food and water. And he was tempted by the devil during that time. Three times he resisted temptation. And right when he came out of that fast, he went right into ministry. And man, people got saved, signs, wonders, miracles, healings, and disciples were equipped and trained and empowered and sent out. The church 
launched. And so people during Lent, they take 40 days to give something up. Maybe it's social media. Maybe they don't do it every day, but they do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday during those 40-day periods. Or they give up movies or entertainment. They say, you know what, for the next 40 days, I'm going to give this up Monday through Friday. And It's not about how you do it or even what you do. It's about your heart. If you can get your heart, you know what, for the next 40 days leading up towards Easter. We have 40 days between now and Good Friday, which is the Friday before Easter. I sense God wants to do something great in this church. But I also know nothing happens until people get hungry for it. Nobody goes to eat until they're hungry for it. How do you get hungry? You don't eat. It's really simple. When you go without something, you get hungry for it. When I haven't had something that I really like and I have to go without it for a while, I can't wait to get it. I'm asking you to pray about something you could give up during these 40 days. To pray about whatever it is, God will give you a method. Maybe it's, you know what, I'm gonna take a break from Facebook or Instagram or Twitter for these days during the week for the next 40 days. Or you know what, I'm gonna give up lunch for the next 40 days, I'm gonna have breakfast and dinner. But during that time, it's not about losing weight, it's not about being a better you, it's about stirring up your appetite for more of God. It's about saying, Lord, I want more. I want your Holy Spirit to fill me. I wanna get hungry. I want you to come to church with an appetite next Sunday. I want you to come to church just ready to eat God's word. Y'all are like, this is wild. For those of you that don't know God or church, I'm telling you, you are in for a treat. Revival is coming to victory. I'm not waiting for a revival. I'm starting a revival in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul Doherty. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.